Welcome, Bird Gang, on today's show. Paul Calvisi joins me. We get his sideline perspective from what happened Sunday in L.A., one of the better performances of the year in all three phases. Of course, the main talking points, Colt McCoy, Buda Baker, and a kicker who didn't join the team until the night before. It's Cardinals Cover 2, episode 615, and it starts now. Welcome to Cardinals Cover 2. Hit in the backfield and down he goes for a loss. J.J. Watt nailed it. Cardinals Cover 2 is presented by Hyundai, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals. And by Arizona Cardinals Podcasts. Visit azcardinals.com slash podcasts. He's at the 10, half a 5. He's in again. Some more Murray Magic. Wow. Here's Craig Grealoux. Plenty of people to credit for Sunday's 27-17 win at the Rams. We failed, though, to credit one such person during Cardinal Talk, and I want to correct that right now since that person is literally right in front of me. That's right, Paul. You deserve credit because we're going to go back to Friday's show. And did we not predict a J.J. Watt performance so that we could get Calvisi v. Watt Part 2? We got the Watt performance. We did not get the post-game interview, unfortunately, but it was your locker room Q&A that I think really propelled not only Watt, but this entire Cardinals team to beat the Rams in Los Angeles. Sure, beat L.A., you're right. Uh, there was J.J. Watt at his locker on Friday. He was salty. He was uh, more salty after the game, I think, <laughs> even though he had a sack in the game. But Cleet Blakeman uh, denied him of the fumble return. So, uh, you know what, that's good, though. I mean, when J.J. Watt takes it out on the other team, and that's exactly what he did, when he was the best 99 in the building, Oh yeah, and you're playing Aaron Donald, there's no question he was. And, and, you know, our pregame sideline report, we cited a few things, and one was how amped up J.J. Watt was, how often through history when you see one player. I'll even go back to the great Bertrand Berry. This was 2005 opener at the New York Giants, and B-Train had a heck of a game, and he came back to the sideline on the road, and he's yelling at the Giants fans, and he's tugging at the front of his jersey saying, I'm the real 92. I'm the real 92 because who was on the Giants sideline? Michael Strahan. And so, you know, it's amazing what will motivate players and, and, and units of teams. How many times have you gone into a game and you hear all about the opposing defense and then – the hometown defense takes that a little poisonal, a little bit, and then they come out and they rise to the occasion and they have a big game. Uh, so I think that was all incorporated into J.J. Uh, Watt's performance. And uh, you know what? It, it could have been. Considering he was mic'd up for hard knocks, I think that also accelerated and amplified things a little bit because how great would that have looked on HBO and on hard knocks in season which we renamed last week. And you know what? We're keeping the same name. See, it's not in season. It's season on the brink. That's what it should be named. And J.J. Watt might add like a historic performance considering what the officials robbed him of. And, and what was his quote after the game? Cleet actually – He said Cleet actually apologized to him. Quote, he screwed up, he apologized, and there's nothing you can do except say sorry, end quote. So give Cleet credit, yet at the same time – <laughs> that's a scoop and score. So frustrating, there's no doubt. And it could have been game-changing. It, it could have been. It could have been, a, I mean, a real factor in the game. Now the Rams were anemic on offense, and John Wolford isn't nearly the backup quarterback that Colt McCoy is, obviously. 
So that game wasn't really in danger ever since the Cardinals took that 14-3 lead at the end of the uh, first half. 17-3 make that at the end of the first half. And it was interesting, walking off, the first thing that Cliff Kingsbury cited going into the locker room as he's talking to the TV sideline reporter, and I'm along for the ride just listening in. And That's not – but I, I get that, and I appreciate the full transparency here on Cardinals Cover 2 presented by Hyundai, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals. However, but when I am listening to the broadcast and I relay your message to everyone else in the Twitterverse, I make sure that it's – told Paul Calvisi yeah. you know you're there you're you're getting yeah. Q&A as well so let's let's yeah. not I'll just put it on yeah. the uh, yeah. TV people yeah and you're not wrong I mean I'm there and I'm <laughs> quoting them uh, and sometimes uh, I'll, I'll confer depending on the, the sideline reporter and, and, and how long I've known that person you know we'll confer on maybe what are the two best questions you know sometimes they'll ask for my opinion we'll formulate the two best questions but I don't even think there was a question Cliff just started on his way into the locker room, and, and he knew it right off the top. One negative play in 38 snaps. That's that's what he cited right off the top. And and so what's the word that we're using probably that's most popular with Colt McCoy? Efficient. And that's what the Cardinals' offense was. It was efficient. We didn't hear the words self-inflicted. And it's amazing what happens when you're not your own worst enemy. So there you go. And, and, and look – I wasn't shocked. I don't know about you. I don't think anybody should be shocked based on what Colt McCoy did last year in those two wins on the road. I mean, winning division games on the road, this is what Colt McCoy does. And not even just for the Cardinals. You go back to his last year with the Giants. What did he do when he got that start at Seattle? An abysmal Giants team. No one gave them a chance, and they pulled one of the biggest upsets of the 2020 season. He went into Seattle and upset uh, Russell Wilson and the Seahawks, who, who had a decent squad that year. But if you look at, I mean, just that efficiency we talk about, the win at the Niners last year, 22-26, the touchdown, no interceptions, a passer rating of over 119, the win at Seattle last year, 35-44 of 44 for 328, two touchdowns, no picks, and a passer rating of 113. So that's what he does. He's, he's decisive. He knows where to go with the ball. You hear Cliff Kingsbury talk about his pre-snap ability to read and react. You saw all that on display. Uh, and for a guy who hadn't played any regular season football all year and didn't have much of a training camp, you know, the first week or so he threw about a million passes because Kyler was down. And then whether that was a factor in his elbow and his arm and whatever you know, afflicted him the rest of August. And then into, what, the first three games of the regular season? Or was he actually on IR? He missed the first couple of games because of that issue that just he wasn't quite ready to go. Yeah. And that's why Trace McSorley yeah. was your backup. Yeah. So think about it. His first significant action on any level this year and to come out and put up a performance like that where four backup offensive linemen, really five, because there were times where the Cardinals' offensive line sat on the bench and they sit in, in formation – Left to right, they sit, you know, as they would when they break the huddle. The left tackle sits next to the left guard, next to the center, the right guard, the right tackle. And at times, you saw both Rashad Coward and Cody Ford in between the left tackle and the center because they were rotating at that left guard position. And that's something that Kingsbury had mentioned on Friday. He didn't specifically mention what position, but that would be multiple offensive linemen. And let's give credit to those 
four offensive linemen plus Kelvin Beecham, the only starter that has been your starter, your mainstay of this entire season. Kelvin Beecham is the only one on that line that has not missed to start. But you had Josh Jones, Rashad Coward, Billy Price, Lasita Smith, and Beecham. And according to Pro Football Focus, that offensive line allowed only six pressures on 40 pass-blocking snaps. Zero pressures allowed by Beach. And that was a concern. And Kingsbury told you post-game, yes, there was some concern rolling out four backups plus Beecham against that stout defensive line, namely Aaron Donald. Yet, what was the game plan? The quick passing game. And Colt McCoy delivered, completing 70% of his pass attempts. And it was early on, Paul. I was stunned. 11 straight pass attempts to begin that first drive. And that was the MO, that first half allow Colt McCoy to dissect the defense and get the ball into his playmakers. Yeah, they got me on that one. I'll tell you that much. Um, Now, earlier in the week, and and I reported this before the game, that, yeah, the ball was going to come out quick, that the Rams' corners had a tendency to give a lot of cushion. It cost them at the end of that game the week before when Tom Brady really victimized the Rams' defense in that final drive, that game-winning drive for the Buccaneers. For whatever reason, they were giving tons of cushion, and Tom Brady just took it with no timeouts. His receivers would make the quick catch and get out of bounds, and they went all the way down for the game-winning score. And guess what? Um, That was a big adjustment the Rams made in the second half. They played more press man with the corners. They got up on the Cardinals receivers. But to start the game, if they're going to give you just 7 to 10 yards of cushion, then just take it. I know everybody hates the horizontal game, but it really wasn't horizontal. The throw was to the perimeter, but it was a solid positive gain that made for second and manageable, third and manageable. And, And that's what the Cardinals saw in film. That was what they were going to take advantage of if the Rams came out in that sort of defensive coverage. They did. So the ball went to the outside. It went into the air. (laughs) But even all that being the case, you know, what were we talking about, especially yours truly in the pregame, was that what Tampa had just done earlier in the day from Munich. There were three teams in the NFC with just truly banged up offensive lines. The Rams, the Cardinals, and the Buccaneers. Tampa came out and said, you know what? We're going to run the ball. And like Wolf said on the pregame show as well, if you're a backup offensive lineman, it's probably because you're not on par with the starter when it comes to pass protection. That's usually your downfall as a backup offensive lineman. You know, your, your, your pass pro maybe is a liability. So cater to the backup offensive lineman and run the ball. Come off the ball. (laughs) The Cardinals didn't anything but. So that was interesting. Until they got down near the 20 and near the red zone, and then James Conner got his first real carry of the game. And then the second half, they fed him, and he ended up with the season high, 69 yards rushing, and he had some key runs. So there was balance to the offense. There was definitely uh, the quick game. There were various receivers getting involved as Cole McCoy knew where to go with the ball instantly. And there was just a belief. Craig, on that sideline, there was just a belief. And and I talked to guys after the game. I said, you know, considering where the Cardinals were and considering what this team has done against the Cardinals historically, and Sean McVay had won 11 out of 12 and always seems a step ahead with his scheme, and you pretty much figured all week you'd be without Buddha. You knew the offensive line was, I mean, just a train wreck on paper. And and you're without your starting quarterback – and the guy, this is a starter on defense now, the guy cut me off. He said, yeah, but we had 12. And that's what we told ourselves all week. We had 12. And it's amazing. When you believe in the quarterback, 
When you have confidence in the quarterback, what do the great quarterbacks do? They erase all the issues, all the liabilities. A great quarterback comes in with a makeshift offensive line and backup weapons, and, 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 you know, and he just makes it work. A great quarterback is an answer to all your problems. And Cole McCoy was good enough to obviously engineer that win against a reeling Rams team. Players rallied around number 12. Yep. And Colt McCoy delivered, as he did last year when he had to replace Kyler Murray for those three games. Went 2-1 and one as a starter a year ago, now 1-0 and oh in all three wins against the NFC West, each on the road. And now the question is, okay, well, why was that the case on Sunday? That was the first phone call to Cardinal Talk about the quarterback position. And, hey, maybe it's time that Colt McCoy is your starter. That was the sentiment amongst much of the fan base. Now, look, I get it. It's in the moment, but it is not going to happen. Kyler Murray is your starting quarterback. Colt McCoy, though, can certainly come in and spell Murray until he's healthy. Now, the question is, when will Kyler be healthy? That hamstring issue, that always perhaps is something that could pop up at any time. In the meantime, though, Colt McCoy is very capable of running this offense, but I'll go back to what I said on Cardinal Talk with Kyle Vandenbosch, Paul, and that is, yes, things looked a heck of a lot different with Colt McCoy at the QB, but why did it look different? I just think it was because the team played better, and you mentioned it, the one negative play in the first half, it was an offensive penalty. It was Josh Jones called for a false start. That was the only negative play in the first half. There was only one negative play run the entire game outside of the two sacks, and that was a James Conner fourth-quarter run that lost one yard. This team on Sunday did not play behind the sticks, able to stay on schedule, keep the chains moving however long it took, and get the ball into the red zone and mostly into the end zone. And why is that? Drill down a little deeper. I think it's because you saw a quarterback who was decisive, quarterback who was seeing the field, wasn't holding on to the ball uh, unnecessarily long, putting, you know, taxing an offensive line. And so these are all things that obviously Kyler Murray can learn from and he can glean. Now, they're two different skill sets, obviously. 36-year-old Cole McCoy, as old as Sean McVay, and then you have Kyler Murray. But there's still plenty of upside in Kyler's game, still plenty to learn in Kyler's game. So I don't think I'm the only one when you hear Cliff Kingsbury after the game talk about the attributes that Colt brought to the whole entire game week. First one there, last one out. You know, Just the ability to know where he's going with the ball instantly. All these things that, that Cliff cited, I think you could view as a subliminal checklist for Kyler to follow, a blueprint to follow and believe me Kyler was right there on the white stripe and he was listening to everything he had his own earpiece and he was listening in at one point Jalen Ramsey was barking at the Cardinals sideline and I thought he was yelling at Kyler but I was told no he's yelling actually at one of the assistant coaches who had something to say I think to one of the officials and Jalen Ramsey countered him with no you're wrong you know pipe down or what have you I don't know exactly it wasn't Kyler but Kyler was smiling I thought Jalen Ramsey had barked at him but it wasn't Um, but he was right there front and center and, and he was over with Cam Turner and Colts. So, look, I, if you're the Cardinals and you see the way your offense just operated, out of necessity in a lot of ways because of the offensive line situation, then okay. I'll say this. 
and and this and a defense couple defensive players told me this after the game. They said at the beginning of training camp before Cole McCoy went down with the arm soreness, they said he was the most frustrating quarterback to go against 11 on 11 for exactly what you saw what he did against the Rams defense. They couldn't get to him. They're like, we would blitz Colt, we couldn't get to him because he's getting the ball out quick. He knows where to go with the ball. He was checking into plays when they would go full live in training camp. So they said everybody on that team knew based on what they saw in August. You know, even if you're new to the team, you saw it. Guys who have been on the team saw it last year when he won two of his three starts. And really that that game that the Cardinals lost against Carolina, yes, Colt had a bad interception in the first quarter. No doubt about that. And that helped turn the tide. But Cardinals had zero energy against that Carolina team for whatever reason. That was one of those two DOA games. The other one was on the road in Detroit. But getting back to it, what Colt did against the Cardinals defense 11-on-11 in training camp is exactly what he just did against the Rams. The Cardinals locker room knew that, and I think that's one of the reasons they bought into him as a replacement QB. Colt does a great job of standing in that pocket and his progression real quick. Even though that ball is getting out of his hands – Fast, he's able to go from left to right or right to left very fast. Now, that's something that you hope, as you mentioned, that Kyler's on the sideline paying attention to that and staying within the game plan. What we don't know is how much Colt checked out of stuff versus what was called versus what Kyler does on the field versus what is called from the sideline. The operation was a lot smoother, but I think it's naive for all of us to think that it's just – one person and this is something that can be sustained for a long period of time sure in the short term absolutely and that's why every team needs a capable backup quarterback spend some money at that position you hope you never have to see that backup QB yet at the same time if you're going to miss a handful of games three four five games you want something that keeps you in in the race and for the Cardinals that was a must win on Sunday, oh, yeah. you lose that game, yep. you're you're almost flatlined as far as being in that playoff discussion. I agree. I, I think that was a playoff elimination game, and the Rams are now on the outside looking in. I agree. And you know what? Colt was smart enough to do something else. Feed DeAndre Hopkins with 14 targets, 10 catches for 98. Didn't matter if Jalen Ramsey was on him. And you know what? Jalen Ramsey was on D-Hop a lot more than the Cardinals expected the Cardinals going into the game, my understanding, talking to a few people, was they thought, okay, crucial third downs, they'd move Jalen Ramsey over DeAndre Hopkins. But for the most part, they figured Raheem Morris really liked him in the nickel, keep him in the box so he can blitz. He can be that hybrid linebacker even at times. Jalen Ramsey, he can sort of use his instincts and get into the passing lanes and down the seam. No, no, he, he was on DeAndre Hopkins a lot. I would say the vast majority of the game from what I saw, and especially in the second half where he got into some press man, but didn't prevent Colt from going at DeAndre Hopkins. Diop met the media on Friday going into this game, and we were all in there, our crusher media members. That's one of the things I asked him. I said, you know, he had the two catches on the opening drive against Seattle and three targets the rest of the game. He paused and kind of semi-smiled and said, yeah, I think that's going to change. I think we've we've <laughs> we're gonna that's not going to happen again. And uh, that that was DeAndre Hopkins. So I'm guessing there was considerable discussion about making sure that he gets his targets, especially when he's single covered. Even against the elite corners like Jalen Ramsey, he said that was his 11th time going against Jalen Ramsey. And, and he knows he's got the size, he's got the quicks, he's got the elite reach and length. But obviously, it didn't keep DeAndre Hopkins from having a really productive game. The broadcast, the Fox broadcast at one point put up that of the 10 catches 
that Hopkins had in the game, eight of the ten came against Jalen Ramsey. Interesting. And to your point, as far as Colt McCoy, when in doubt, and look, they had never played a game before. Colt McCoy and DeAndre Hopkins. Those three games a year ago, Hopkins was sidelined just as well. So their only real time has been in training camp or in practice. Yet in the first half, Hopkins was targeted 11 times. He finished with 14 targets, 98 receiving yards. And that one drive in the second quarter where there were four straight throws to DeAndre Hopkins, 14, 12, 8, and 4 yards, leading to James Conner's four-yard touchdown run. It's much like we've seen in the past. Whoever the quarterback is in previous years, you find number 11 and you throw the ball to Larry Fitzgerald. For the Cardinals now here in 2022, find number 10, throw the ball to DeAndre Hopkins. It's not that difficult. (laughs) And you know what? For everyone who wonders if, uh, you know, D-Hop and Kyler, if they're at odds, no. D-Hop talks to all his quarterbacks, including Colt McCoy. Your sideline reporter is here to verify that I saw him more than once come to the sideline and talk to Colt, and there was one, it was right after the end of the third quarter, and, and Hop hadn't had a target in a while, and he sat down on the bench, and he was about three or four players removed from Colt, and he leaned forward and looked down the line at Colt, and, and he was he was yelling something, and Colt was talking with Cam Turner, and he put down the tablet, he looked forward, and he listened to what Hop had to say, he nodded, and you know what, the Cardinals started that next possession with a quick out to DeAndre Hopkins, and, and they got rolling from there. So that was the drive that included the Rondell Moore ridiculous fourth down one-handed grab. Think about that. Think about that. Think about the insane catch by A.J. Green, his yep. first catch on fourth down. Uh, and then, you know, just, just think about his ability to incorporate different guys. And I, I tell you, um, it was just impressive to watch. And there was just – there was a confidence. There was a vibe that you have when guys believe in the quarterback and you had it with Kurt Warner, you had it with Carson Palmer, it didn't matter how much you trailed. Uh, and it's just um, it's something that's infectious. And then between that and a Buda Baker playing with his situation, you know, it's sort of like a month ago when the Cardinals went into the game after J.J. Watt had his heart shocked into rhythm. How can you sit there on the sideline and say, okay, I'm not going to give everything I have today when this guy just had his heart shocked into rhythm three days ago, when this guy, Buda Baker, was given a 0% chance at the start of this game week to even be on the field. He's out here giving it his all. Guess what? That does hold you accountable. <laughs> it does mandate that you give your best effort. And so uh, that's what I think you saw in the Cardinals win at the Rams in Week 10. I can only imagine how Buddha is feeling Sunday night into Monday morning, maybe even into Tuesday and Wednesday because you mentioned it. He was ruled out by the head coach. National Report says he's going to miss two to three weeks, even post-game. Speaking with Danny Sarek on the post-game report on azcardinals.com, Buddha mentioned that he was told up to four weeks that he was going to have to miss yet. He did everything possible to be on that football field. I went back because I wasn't quite sure in real time on Cardinal Talk, but just how many snaps Buda Baker played because he never comes off the field. He was on the field on Sunday for a season-low 80% of the defensive snaps. He missed 12 snaps on Sunday. In the first nine games combined, he had only missed six snaps. Wow. And I'm sure he fought – when he was told, hey, 
let's make sure you're ready for the next play of the next series or in the case of his interception in the fourth quarter when we need you the most so you can get that game-changing play. And a great job by Isaiah Simmons by getting that ball, getting his hand on that football, deflecting it into Baker's hands. But it's it's darn near impossible, almost like a DeAndre Hopkins going back to last year against Green Bay where he's running onto the football field to be a part of that offensive series. Buda Baker, you are not going to be able to keep him off the field, especially against an NFC West opponent, and especially at that juncture where you need to win. You called it a playoff elimination game. They needed that game. Cardinals got it, and now it's okay. On to the next. And look, was Buda um, anywhere near what he usually is, flying sideline to sideline? No. And whether it was on TV or in person, you you could tell. But he's so critical in the alignment and assignment, especially against that Sean McVay scheme that loves to mess with guys' eyes and all the eye candy and everything else. And, oh, we're coming out with a different personnel package. Look at this. Look at this. No, we're going to hit you over here as you look over there. And so Buddha is critical, just that football IQ. And just I think, and then it's sort of like having a quarterback you believe in. When you have the quarterback of the defense, guys feel that much more confident just that he's out there and his communication skills and getting guys set to go. So you had that, but you didn't have Byron Murphy either. And so for Cooper Cup to have three catches for negative one yard before he went out with what looked to be now that was on the far sideline. It was on the Rams sideline. I it looked really awkward when he fell. It looked bad from the get-go. I saw it live from a distance, and then he's flat on his back in anguish for an extended period. So that looked bad. Um, the comment from Sean McVay afterwards, and I quote, I just I just know it didn't look good. It didn't sound good. That was Sean McVay when asked about the severity of the Cooper Cup right ankle injury. But for all that, you know, guess, guess what? Antonio Hamilton played the game of his career, 11 tackles, two passes broken up, should have had the pick six. Marco Wilson was hot after the Van Jefferson touchdown at the end. Oh, man, he came to the sideline, and he went to launch his helmet, and then he thought twice about it. Instead, he just dropped it, and uh, he just just walked up and down that sideline. He was really mad about that final touchdown pass, which, of course, the defensive coaches, you know, they despise that as well. Just garbage time touchdowns that mess with your overall stats on the season. But um, but it was good to see the Cardinals' defense at least compete until three zeros were on the clock. Marco Wilson, Antonio Hamilton, Trayvon Mullen played the most that he has been on the football field this season, all because no Byron Murphy. Now, how serious is the back issue? That's one thing. That's something you'd never know. Like a DJ Humphreys yep. was on the practice field on Friday, did not play on Sunday. You never know what the back issue. The other defensive player we want to talk about here on Cardinals Cover 2 presented by Hyundai, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals, is actually the defensive player that you had a chance to speak to on post game, and that was my Jay Sanders, who was on the field for a season best 35% of the defensive snaps. And all he did, record a sack, quarterback hit, tackle for loss, pass defensed, and forced fumble. Of course, it was that strip sack that really was the highlight play, but I'm impressed by my Jay Sanders and the progress that he has made from training camp to early in the season to now where we are halfway through this regular season. And you forget just how long he is. Paulie Pencilneck interviewing him after the game. I mean, he, he is a he, he is a similar stature, dare I say it, to a Chandler Jones. Uh, He is tall. He is long. You saw the reach on the strip sack. Not many guys just 
physically are capable of doing that, shoving the offensive lineman into the pocket and then reaching across your offensive lineman to get to the football with that extendo arm reach. And so that's obviously one of the things that really attracted the Cardinals to my Jay Sanders in round three. Now, been a bit of a slow run-up. Uh, he had to earn the trust of the coaches, as he said, after the game. Uh, you know, he had to show the consistency. It, it, it kind of reminds me a little bit of Isaiah Simmons' rookie year. Yeah, he, he's prone to make the splash play. He's also prone to give up the big play. That might cost you a game, hence the hesitation by the coaches. But slowly but surely, you try to eliminate the mistakes. And, and if you can raise the floor, so to speak, raise the floor as to how low your game can go, they can trust you to have a certain standard. Then all of a sudden, they're, they'll put you in just because they know the upside. The ceiling is so huge uh, on a MyJ Sanders. And he was a problem. He was definitely a problem for those backup offensive linemen and the Rams up front. There might be something to this when you look at the snap counts as I did on Monday morning because with MyJ Sanders on the field for 21 snaps, Cameron Thomas for 20 snaps, Marcus Golden 47, okay, who are the odd guys out? Victor Dumukeji and Dennis Gardeck, eight snaps and six snaps, mm -hmm. respectively. And those were two. Victor had been starting for several games in a row. I wonder now, as we hit the halfway point, a little beyond the halfway point, that this Cardinals coaching staff are seeing enough of the young players and maybe even more of an upside. All right, they've worked their tail off in practice. Let's give them more reps in a game, see what they do with those extra reps. And Cameron Thomas didn't have the splash plays, wasn't really noticed immediately, but my Jay Sanders made the most of his 21 snaps. And you also saw for the second straight game, at least to my eye, Zayman Collins on the edge a lot more. So that's interesting. I, I'd be curious how he grades out. He's been hard on himself, Zayman Collins, you know, on the edge, and, and, and that's one of the things some of the veterans cited going into this game. We have to be really sound. In fact, it was J.J. Watt at his locker. We were going to be sound in the run defense, and the first thing he cited was setting the edge. Because when Marcus Golden hasn't been in there, that has been a problem with some of the young guys and, and with Zavin learning the position. And, and I know against Seattle he got sucked in a little bit um, and the week before. and so, he, But they like Zavin on the edge. And, and let's face it, they need more production. Yep. If there's one position group on this team where you need more production, you went into that game and your leading edge guy had a sack and a half. So uh, obviously they're looking for an answer out there. In the absence of a dominant edge rusher, they're trying to throw some numbers and, and see if different guys, you know, I mean, if, can Zayvon Collins have sort of a Micah Parsons effect, right? He was the next linebacker off the board after Micah Parsons two years ago, and he's got the size, he's got the burst. Now he's definitely a little heavier. In fact, I'd say he's probably even closer to 270 right now than he is 260. So he's capable of playing physically. Uh, you know, and so I'm curious how much that continues. But when you say, see a Ben Neiman inside, I don't know how many snaps Ben ne Neiman got, but seemingly he was an inside linebacker a lot, him and Tanner Vallejo. And a lot of that was because Zayvon Collins w was on the edge quite a bit. Neiman played 41 snaps, 68% of the defensive snaps. So, yeah, and he, and he yeah. started the game as well. Vallejo not on the field at all for defense. But, yeah, you're seeing more – they list three inside linebackers, Collins, Simmons, and Neiman, but it's more Neiman who's the true inside linebacker with Collins maybe on the edge and Simmons, you know, whether it's a slot or playing deep safety. So three inside linebackers, one outside linebacker, but really it's where are those guys doing their best for that particular player, that particular series. 
Yep. And so, you know, there was that. You also saw the rotation um, of the new uh, defensive lineman whose name escapes me, Tristan Hill from, from, uh, from Dallas. You saw 98 out there. I mean, they are down to a number of guys who have been added here just in the last couple of weeks, and they're trying to make it work. And so I will say this about the Rams, though, and that offensive line, whoa. I mean, you watch the Rams and you're saying their first pick and they're tracking to have a top 10 pick should be a left tackle. Here's the problem. When's the next time the Rams actually have a first-round pick? (laughs) Because they've traded them away. I mean, Sean McVay was really frustrated over there at times on that sideline. I kept a half an eye on him, and and um, it sort of reminds me of Pete Carroll a year ago when the Cardinals went to Seattle and Colt McCoy and the Cardinals beat the Seahawks, and it basically was their playoff elimination game. And Pete Carroll was despondent. He was in despair after the game. Fan, the 12s were booing. You know, you're like, what is Seattle going to do? <laughs> now, they've done a miraculous job of writing that ship. But at that moment in time, things looked really bleak, the future, for Seattle. Uh, now, they got Denver, obviously, to bite on a franchise-changing trade for the Seahawks. But, like, what are the Rams going to do right now? Obviously, they're going to get Matthew Stafford back. But they have some serious issues, and guess what? They don't have the picks or the assets to really address a lot of their big-picture issues going forward. They went all in on the Super Bowl, won this championship, but that was the consequences to go all in, give up those draft picks for a title. Okay, you've got it. Now Now you're left with this, and how do you overcome when you don't have these draft picks? How do you rebuild? How do you restock? The only thing out there that had a worse week than the Rams was cryptocurrency. So <laughs> if you, that was about the only thing that was worse on, on the landscape across America was, uh, was cryptocurrency and the L.A. Rams. Uh, your future is bleak in both cases. How about the weekend for Brand-new kicker, Tristan Viscano, who joined the team on Saturday night, the fourth different kicker, and I believe, as I heard Dave Pache on the broadcast, the third different kicker to wear number 15 for the Cardinals this season. But Cardinals Senior VP of Media Relations, Mark Dalton, tweeted this out Monday morning. Viscano Ubered to the team hotel from Irvine, California, after signing on Saturday afternoon. So literally the first time that he met anyone might have been Saturday night, more likely Sunday morning, as he's about to go and kick the ball off. You know, a guy walked into the uh, team hotel on Saturday evening, and because he was walking with Aaron Brewer, I'm like, well, I haven't seen Matt Prater on this trip, so I'm guessing that's the Cardinals kicker. And, yeah, we were talking about that pregame. You're on your fourth kicker this season. What the – and I, I will say this, Viscano was cool and calm. He was smiling on the bench. You know, I, I, just looking at him, you're like, okay. Because, great, if there's one thing you know as a sideline pencil neck reporter, and that is the kickers and the punters and the long snappers because you're, you're kind of in their space a lot of times in the sidelines. So you can tell whether a guy is cool, calm, and collected, or is the guy gripping? Is Are the boxers bunging? Is this guy, oh boy, he's a little nervous. Hold on to yourself right now. I've seen kickers, backup kickers, get signed by the Cardinals, and they run out to attempt their first kick, and they don't have their helmet. That's a bad sign. That's a bad sign when they're so rattled going out there for their first attempt, and guys are yelling, no, no, where's your helmet? Where's your helmet? And they're, they're looking under the bench or by the kicking net. That's a bad sign. That wasn't Viscano. He was cool. And he was talking, and he was relaxed. I'm like, okay. You know what? This is like his ninth different team. Where did I have that? He's on his not. Here it is. 
His ninth team in his career, he came in 9 of 10 on field goals, 12 of 17 on PATs. And don't call him Biscaino, like uh, some sort of middle infielder in baseball. <laughs> or as your head coach called you in the postgame locker room, it's Viscano, apparently, is the correct pronunciation. K-A-Y, that you pronounce the K in there and don't add an extra syllable. But he made all five of his kicks, two field goals, three PATs, and who knows what this means going forward. But what we do know moving forward is that the Cardinals still are in this. At four and six, yes, it's still a steep hill to climb, but you're one and three in the division. And just looking at the rest of the NFC, Paul, there are six teams in the conference with a winning record. Seven if you conclude Tampa Bay at at or above 500, the Buccaneers are 5-5. Five and five. This thing is still wide open. Oh, yeah. But it now means you have to win next week in Mexico City against the 49ers. And guess what? What did Colt McCoy do last year? He went to the 49ers and engineered a win. So I have no idea what the status of Kyler is. I have no idea what the status of Colt McCoy is. It's a good clip. As of this Monday morning. You heard him in our post-game radio interview. I asked him about it. I was a knee, and he said, well, adrenaline got me through. So that wasn't exactly a bullish statement about I'll, – I'll even say this, and I meant to say this on the broadcast, and I ran out of time because the Rams were stinking break in the huddle quickly, and I had to wrap my sideline report. But I wanted to conclude an update on Colt McCoy by saying if it was his other leg, his plant leg, I'm not so sure he would have been back in that game. I think – the good news, the good fortune for the Cardinals was it was his left leg and not his back leg, his right leg, his plant leg, because on the sideline, you know, he was taking his drops. He came out of the medical tent. He immediately grabbed a football. He wanted to see if he could throw, and he did his three-step drops, and he threw. But it's that right leg that you end up on and you push off of. If it would have been the reverse, (laughs) not so sure. Went back to the bench. Trainer Tom Reed worked on the leg a little bit. He's bending it while Colt was sitting down, and Colt sort of nodded, grabbed his helmet, went up and down the sideline, fist bumps. All the receivers, all the offensive line, like, okay, he's going back in the game, and he did. He finished that game. Uh, But what did he feel like Monday morning waking up? What's the aftermath? What exactly was the injury? You know, initially he grabbed the knee, Later, he sort of grabbed behind the knee, sort of the upper lower leg, almost as if it was the calf or, or maybe even the hamstring area above the knee. He grabbed that. It's all, I don't know. He's smart enough that, honestly, I think he grabbed different parts of his leg to throw <laughs> everyone off. Honestly. I mean, that's how savvy he is at 36 years of age. The other injury that we're keeping an eye on this week is Zach Ertz. His one catch, his one target, and immediately as he gets tackled down to the ground, he grabs his left knee and no update as we speak here on this Monday morning Cardinals covered too but that certainly is something that you hope is not as serious as what it potentially could be considering how well Ertz had been playing this season yeah and, and considering the look on his face the emotion he's near tears he might even had a couple of tears on that face and you know, he grabbed it immediately I tell you on Saturday there was a big movement by a lot of players across the NFL about yep. the state of the turf and, and that building, you know, apparently, according to the, the player's studies and, and just opinion and sentiment, you know, there are those venues that have the slit film turf, which honestly, I wasn't all that for, for someone who's been down on those. I mean, I, I wasn't really that, you know, uh, cognizant of the difference in those in like Detroit. Fort Field is one of the most underrated venues and buildings. I didn't know that among players, it doesn't have a high opinion. 
as to the turf and the potential for injury. But I, honestly, I, I if the Cardinals are playing at home, and that was arguably the best playing surface in the NFL, State Farm Stadium, and it's been voted as such by the players for many years, I don't know if Zach Ertz suffers that knee injury. Does he able, is he able to, to get his foot out from under him so the knee doesn't bend awkwardly like that? Does a Cole McCoy not suffer his knee injury? Because that turf, although much better than the 90s, than what we saw back in the day, for example, you know, the Pontiac Silverdome, which I, I think is one of the reasons Barry Sanders retired. I, I honestly yeah. do. That's how bad that plane surface was, for example. Um, you know, for everything that they've done to improve the plane surface, the artificial turf isn't anywhere near close to being as forgiving as real grass. And especially in SoFi, you spend $6 billion on that stadium and you have this translucent roof where the sun is coming through. I ain't no grass expert around here, a field turf person, but I'm wondering, do you have the ability to grow real grass inside there? Because if if I'm the Rams and I have all this money invested in all those guys, uh, I would think seriously about playing 10 home games on real grass. Good news for the Cardinals is that they are done for the Rams are done with the Rams this season. Two games left with the 49ers, and, yeah, first one will come up on Monday in Mexico City. And, again, there's a lot of questions going into this matchup as far as the health status and then, obviously, playing surface in Mexico City and whether guys are able to go or not. But it should be a lot of fun. And uh, I'm guessing the passport is good, Paul. You're all you're all caught up in everything. You're not going to get left yeah. at the border? They tried to idiot-proof it for everyone. We had to turn on our passport like two months ago. <laughs> so, you know, they want to make dang sure. They learned that the hard way in 2005. So, football Americano. Here we go. Here we Monday go. Monday night football, Cardinals and the 49ers. Much more on this as the week progresses. By the way, before we head on out of here, I I'd be remiss if I didn't ask. Either did you see – or meet Blake Shelton oh. and Gwen Stefani, who are up with Michael Bidwell mm. in the owner's suite. Somehow I was down in the field. I, I miss Blake Shelton and, and Gwen Stefani. Um, and, and, the, and what really hurts, you know, really just sort of rubs the salt in the wound is is there I was post-game with Cam Cox from Channel 12. So <laughs> There's always a Cam Cox reference yeah. here. It can always get worse. Uh, so compare and contrast, you know, having to spend time with Cam and not actually running into Blake and Gwen. So that, that was disappointing. There's no doubt about it. I got to be better. I got to keep my head in a swivel, look out for the celebrities, and, uh, you know, leave the lesser people behind. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, Cam always asks me these sawed-off questions after the game. So, you know, there there we are. I just – but, uh, no, I missed it. Uh, I did love his comment, though, uh, on the Cardinals' social media where he said, and I quote, I wrote it down, I don't want to brag, says Blake Shelton, but I've been to three games in person, and we've won all three games. So there's that. Might be an extra body on that team flight to Mexico City this weekend because at this rate I'm yeah. bringing him and whomever else. By the way – did you see the scene in Germany? I did. Oh, my goodness. Even Almost 70,000 in attendance, but just the massive humanity and the fans all around that stadium. We were talking because I had seen in the offseason when they sold tickets for that, there was a Sports Business Journal report that there were over a million people in queue yep. on Ticketmaster. The NFL came out this past week and said they could have sold more than 3 million tickets for that game in Germany. And, and Roger Goodell, I think on the Friday or Saturday, met with the media, and he said, oh, yeah, 
We've got more games to come. You bet you're behind. We're going to play more games here. In fact, he said we might on the fly, instead of playing four games in four years, which was the original, we might double that because that is what that the demand is such in Munich, Frankfurt. Uh, they say that Germany has become Europe's top market, even beyond London in the U.K. So I, the Cardinals' last home game I was walking in, and the German bird gang, there were a bunch of people with a banner taking pictures. I did of, see that. In front of State Farm Stay, I walked by those people. Just the fact that there was an NFL Network doing their post-game show and everyone's singing Sweet Caroline in Munich and, 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 and John Denver songs. Apparently, John Denver is huge in Germany. Who knew? I thought it was David Hasselhoff. <laughs> That's great. I don't know. But it's funny because... Four teams have the rights in Germany, the Bucks, the Chiefs, the Patriots, and Carolina, and apparently the Chiefs and, and Patriots were all hacked off. They didn't get that game. Like, there's a real arms race to expand to Germany right now for the NFL. Well, it's a good thing you got your passport all set for Mexico yeah. City because maybe you'll be heading yeah. to Germany next season or in the seasons to come. Yeah. Mexico City was really cool in 2005, and I expect it to be bigger and better and an and even more glorious scene. 120,000 people in that stadium. I've been to the big house in Ann Arbor for a Michigan-Notre Dame game. I've been down in that field. It is impressive when there's 110,000, but that's minus the upper decks that you get at Stadium Azteca. It, it's really cool. And then the fact that it's 7,500-plus feet. I was talking to Andy Lee, who was in that game as the yes. 49ers punter in 2005. Jeff Rogers was on the 49ers coaching staff that's that year, right. too. That's good to know. And so um, – I tell you what, the kickers and punters love it because it's even thinner air than Flagstaff. And Neil Rackers, I've told the story, wanted a shot at a 70-yard field goal back in 2005. He was hitting them in pregame, and he never got that shot. So I tell you, if this is one game Matt Prater wants to be healthy for, <laughs> it's Mexico City. If not, hey, I like what I saw out of Tristan Viscano, so perhaps – Maybe that record breaker comes on Monday when the Cardinals play the 49ers. Much more on that yeah. game, though. It's, it, it, I'm looking forward to it outside of the fact that it is, again, another must-win game for and the be, Cardinals. And because it's such a soccer-crazy fan base, the most popular players on either team are the kickers. Yes. Anyone who kicks a football, punter, kicker, you are beloved by the locals in Mexico City. They, go, they went nuts for Neil Rackers and Andy Lee. Back in 2005, there was, it was amazing to see, but it made a lot of sense because you know they they just love putting a foot to the pigskin. It's going to be a lot of fun. Much more on that game as the week progresses. Obviously, the question marks on Kyler Murray and Colt McCoy, plus Zach Ertz as well. But the good news is, is Paul's got that passport all set, so we don't have to worry about him at all. And on that note, we will put a lid on this edition of Cardinals Cover 2 presented by Hyundai, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals. As always, special thanks to our executive producer, Jim Omohundro. For Paul Calvisi, I'm Craig Riolu. We'll talk to you next time here on Cardinals Cover 2.